Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Joining me today is Adam Schuster, Senior Director of Budget and Tax Policy at the Illinois Policy Institute. Chicago is all over the place right now. Between the bears threatening to move to the suburbs, a new budget proposal from the mayor, and civic leaders speaking out about the uptick in crime. Today, Adam will break down what's going on and why it matters to you. Adam, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Like you said, uh, Chicago is a hot topic. and There's lots to talk about right now. Hot topic, hot mess. I thought we could start with a couple of fun headlines. So everyone is talking about Ken Griffin, the Citadel CEO, and his comments about the city of Chicago when he spoke at the Economic Club of Chicago recently. And uh, I just wanted to read to you some of my my favorite headlines covering that conversation. So we've got cranes with a very um, measured headline here. Citadel's Ken Griffin slams leaders on Chicago crime. Pretty normal. Politico, Ken Griffin knocks Pritzker and Trump. And my favorite is this one from the Chicago Tribune. After Illinois' richest resident, Ken Griffin slams governor over Chicago violence, Pritzker claps back. Okay. (laughs) What? Yeah. What's uh, going on, Tribune? I I guess, you know, I've always uh, been a fan of news and headlines that focus on the issues rather than the personalities, but I guess it's easier to make it about, you know, the personal conflict between Ken Griffin and Governor Pritzker than it is to talk about the uh, very real issues that, you know, that Ken Griffin raised that are are making businesses and uh, residents choose other cities. Yeah, I mean, welcome to this week's episode of Real Housewives of Chicago, where Adam and I will be clapping back. Adam, how would how would you clap back at what's going on in Chicago? Oh man, well, I think Ken Griffin actually gave a pretty good uh, rundown, at least of the problems um, the city's facing. You know, he he identified uh, in his talk, uh, you know, three main issues and, and really four. Uh, if, if you, you know, broaden his comments a little bit, those being uh, pension debt, the need for pension reform, problems with our schools, the fact that our, our education is falling behind other states and major cities, corruption, which everybody knows about being a huge problem throughout Chicago, and then crime, the fact that uh, they're, they're not hiring as much in the, in the city of Chicago um, as they are in New York or Miami or, or other places, largely because they they're being the trouble. police, right? Uh, no, I'm say- sorry that that Citadel is not recruiting as oh, much right, in right. Chicago, which is you know its its headquarters as they are in in New York or Miami. Um, and you know, according to Ken, a, a big part of the reason for that is is the crime, and it's actually hard for them to recruit because people don't feel safe uh, in Chicago. So you know, those are there's a, a lot of big issues for for the city to tackle. I was really happy to hear that he mentioned pension reform because when it comes to our, our fiscal and economic challenges in particular, there's there's no bigger one. Well, let's talk about Lightfoot's budget proposal too here, because she came out on September 20th and and shared her vision for how the city should spend money in the coming fiscal year. But I I do want to just sort of step back again to crime, because crime and how it's affecting hiring in the city, 
Um, I saw a really interesting tweet from Michael Arndt, who's the former editor of Crane's Chicago Business, and he's talking about um, carjacking. So he, what he tweeted here was, I'll say what Greg Hines won't, though the data in his column support it. Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown lied about carjackings declining in Chicago. And then Crane's covered what's actually going on and how the police chief's stats on carjacking don't match the numbers. Um, you and I are both, well, I'm a former Chicago and I live in the suburbs now. You still live in the city. What's the feeling right now about how crime is affecting not just the people who work in the city, but the people who live there, especially? I mean, I'm hearing of it more and more and more and not just in the places that, you know, it, it's it's kind of a sad statement, but that we're used to hearing about it, but all over the city now. Um, you know, there was a shooting not far from our office. I think it was just uh, last week downtown in sort of the West Loop and um, in virtually every neighborhood, you know, you're, you're hearing that there's an uptick in crime, that people are noticing an uptick in crime, that people are feeling less safe. And it, it really is, you know, a major problem. I mean, rule of law, uh, you know, the, the basic ability for people to feel like you know, criminals aren't going to get away with it is is one of the most uh, important things uh, for for any place that you want to live, any government. So back to the budget proposal from Mayor Lightfoot, what does her proposal do to help with this crime problem? So the, the proposal spends uh, $189 million more on Chicago police, which brings us back up to not only baseline, but it'll actually be the highest spending on Chicago police ever in the city's history, even after adjusting for inflation. That's after spending fell adjusted for inflation last year. But about 75% of that money is going to raises in the new Chicago collective bargaining agreement, the new uh, contract with the, with the Chicago police. Um, so it's, you know, it's not entirely clear how much of that is going to be, you know, spent on, on new programs for, for public safety. Uh, but more to the point, you know, I, I think not that I'm the expert on uh, criminal justice issues, but I, I can say looking at the numbers, Chicago's crime problem doesn't seem to be primarily due to lack of resources. They've got you know, a large budget. They've got among the most police per capita of, or I think the most police per capita of any major city in the United States. We spend a lot of money on police. Um, so, you know, clearly the issues uh, are outside of just the budget arena. Yeah. And I think you've done a really good job breaking down how the city is spending money. You, you put together this graphic that I think il- illustrates the problem really well. I think you're getting to this point that you know, we're spending a lot of money. It's just not going to the services that are going to help improve life in the city. So you've got this graphic I'm looking at here, rising Chicago pension costs, crowd out core city services. So uh, from 2011 to 2021, you've adjusted for inflation. Pensions have grown 239%, but spending on city services has grown only 18%. What's going on? Yeah, that's right. So just like at the state level, we've talked about in the past, uh, the rise in the cost of servicing our pension debt annually is crowding out our ability to spend money on virtually everything else. So um, there was a report recently uh, that we featured on our website that ranks Chicago 141st out of 150 cities uh, in terms of municipal service quality. 
Um, and they also ranked sort of uh, how much you're getting a, a bang for your buck, right? The, the uh, services that you get compared to the, the price of taxes you pay and Chicago ranked extremely low on that measure as well. Um, and the reason why is because, you know, these property tax hikes that we're seeing year after year, there's one included in Lightfoot's budget this year. There was one included in her budget last year. Uh, there was, you know, a $550 million property tax hike under, under Mayor Emanuel. Uh, virtually all of that is going to these pension payments. It's not going to things like garbage pickup. It's largely not going to, you know, better public safety, better services. You know, we, we did mention police spending sees a, sees a jump here, but overall, we have pensions eating up a bigger and bigger share of the money the city brings in. So, you know, as a percentage of the budget, excluding federal dollars, we skew it. It's about 20% uh, of the money that city brings in is going towards pension payments this year. That's up from about 15% just a couple of years ago. You know, just one, one other stat to show how fast these costs are growing. Lightfoot's only been in office for three years, right? And the pension payment in this year's budget is going to be nearly a billion dollars more than in, like, in, in Mayor Manuel's last budget in 2018. So just over three years, pension spending has increased nearly a billion dollars. It's nearly doubling over just a few years. There's no way it's sustainable. Uh, you know, Lightfoot herself has said that the COLA, the 3% cost of living adjustment raise that retirees in most of the systems get every year is unsustainable. And she's called pensions the city's biggest problem. Yeah. And I, I think you mentioned something I want to go back to here because we always try to connect the dots between, you know, obviously what's going on in the news, but more deeply, like what are the public policy issues at play and how does it affect you? So you broke down this budget proposal and explained how the budget's going to affect people who live in Chicago. And I, what I want to make sure everyone knows that you found is the typical Chicago family is going to see a $180 property tax increase, or they would see that under the proposed budget, and that Chicago property taxes have grown 90% since 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about a property tax hike during a time when the city's gotten how many billions of dollars in, in federal aid? Why are we talking about a property tax hike when the city just got bailed out by the feds? Yeah, that's spot on. The city in total, so they got $1.9 billion from the American Rescue Plan. And that's the pot of money most people are talking about um, because it's flexible funds that can be used for virtually anything. Um, but in total, the city's gotten uh, $3.5 billion in federal money that's sitting on right now in grants. The, the, the Chicago budget, in terms of revenue, has has grown roughly 60% since Lightfoot took office, and nearly all of that is this new federal money. So you're right, this property tax increase is totally and completely unnecessary, You know, unambiguously unnecessary. Um, the federal rules around the aid prohibit states from uh, using grant money, using this money for, for tax relief. You can't use it to cut taxes or to prevent you know, a tax hike that had been planned, but that only applies to states. It doesn't apply to cities. Cities have full latitude to use this money to prevent tax hikes. They've got full latitude to use this money to even undo prior year tax hikes, like the tax hike 
in Mayor Lightfoot's last budget. And you know, you mentioned the the average homeowner's bill could go up by go up by up to $180 a year. It's also going to mean property tax hikes on businesses, many of whom are already seeing huge property tax hikes because of changes in assessment methodology that are going on right now. So they're already seeing their property tax bills go up at a time, you know, when they're struggling, at a time when many were shut down for months on end during the pandemic, when you know their revenue still hasn't recovered to pre-pandemic levels because you know tourism hasn't fully come back, because commuters haven't fully come back. Um, they're they're struggling to create jobs and, and and grow wages for their workers in a time when inflation's going up. And you're going to hit them with a property tax hike that you don't need to do, you know, as they're struggling to recover. That's the type of decision that's going to set Chicago behind other cities in the recovery. We spoke with a man named Juan Giron who owns a bookstore in Pilsen and his property taxes on his building were high. So last year he paid $25,000 in property taxes on his business property. This year, his property tax bill is $85,000. It went from $25,000 to $85,000 and he can't figure out what's going on. (laughs) Um, So you're talking about businesses getting hit I don't even know what you do if your property tax bill goes up 350% over one year. I mean, a lot of people are going to close, right? I mean, that's, or, or, or start looking uh, for somewhere else to set up their business. And it's totally understandable. You know, a, Probably most of that jump comes from the changes in assessment. So uh, the Cook County Assessor, Kagi, has been trying to change the way we value property so that more of the burden falls on businesses and less falls on residential properties. And you compound that with an increase in the levy, right? An increase in the amount of money that the city of Chicago brings in. And it's going to be really hard. And, and again, when at a time when most businesses, especially in particular industries, hospitality, restaurants are still way down from, from the amount of business they were doing pre-pandemic, and it's going to be really hard for them to survive. And you know, it's hardest often not not on the big employers and the big businesses, but on the little guys. And as someone who still lives in Chicago, you know, I know that a lot of the single family owner restaurants, you know, these small mom and pop places, a lot of these great restaurants that make up this awesome food scene in Chicago have already closed during the pandemic and, you know, hitting them with the, the second consecutive property tax hike during a pandemic and, and associated economic downturn you know, is is totally unnecessary and totally runs contrary to what the mayor said she wants to do in this budget, which is to build up Chicago and, you know, put us in a place where everybody can have a strong recovery and, you know, and, and come back better than we were. Yeah. I mean, it's really frustrating on so many levels, the, just knowing what we know about what's happened to small businesses, like you just mentioned over the past year and a half, it's been really hard to watch these business owners struggle and many of them close And then, you know, also with this budget, I think one thing you pointed out is a lot of the new spending that gets introduced and you could, I'd like for you to identify some of that new spending here in a second, but new spending that gets propped up by temporary federal aid dollars, that's going to go away. So it's like, even if these are really good programs that the city should be investing in long-term, they won't be able to because the money's going to go away. And so, you know, it's just this really frustrating cycle where we only can talk about property tax hikes or other tax hikes or cuts in services. So what do we do? 
So the, the mayor's budget, um, she calls it her Chicago recovery plan. It includes about $1.2 billion uh, in new spending on social services that the mayor says are community priorities. So this is things like uh, affordable housing, uh, fighting homelessness, uh, anti-violence programs, youth job training programs, mental health services. There's also in, included in there about $32 million for a universal basic income pilot program. And, you know, I don't, I don't need to dig into every single individual line item here to say that a lot of this is actually good. You know, a lot of this money, um, not, not necessarily endorsing every new, new program, but a lot of it is, is exactly the type of thing that we should be doing to uh, invest in people and help Chicago grow. Um, but, you know, as you said, uh, you cannot fund permanent programs with temporary revenue, right? This federal money, the CARES Act money that we haven't spent all of yet needs to be spent by the end of this year, by the end of 2021. The ARPA money, the American Rescue Plan money needs to be spent by the end of 2024. Lightfoot has you know, set aside a portion of the federal money to help cover the budget in 2023. But what happens after that, right? All these new programs that you're that you're creating, that you're spending money on, that you're you know giving people the expectation that they can rely on, you're putting yourself in a situation where you either have to rip the rug out from under those people in just a couple of years by taking away this program you just gave them, or you have to hike taxes even more on businesses and residents that keep getting hit with property tax hikes year after year after year. So it's it's irresponsible budgeting. And you know a lot of people think it's wonky or boring or technical and they don't like to get into it, but the need to balance your long-term revenue and your long-term expenditures so those two trend lines match for years to come is very, very important to giving people you know, stability and quality services at a tax burden that they can actually afford. Yeah. And when people don't feel optimistic about that, they don't stay. And that that's really, really terrible. I mean, I was looking at some of the other headlines that have been coming out recently and, you know, talking about people leaving CPS just lost 25,000 students. They, they, they tracked since the beginning of the pandemic, 25,000 fewer students are enrolled in the district this fall alone. They lost um, about 10,000 students. Wow. And I mean, we you can't have a shrinking city and a growing budget. It, it doesn't make sense. And it, it, I, I'm trying to like wrap my head around the disparity between the different headlines. So, you know, we're talking about crime going up and we're talking about property tax hikes. And then I, I saw this other headline in Condé Nast Traveler. They were talking about the, the best big cities in the country and Chicago's number one. And so I think, you know, we love Chicago. I would agree that Chicago is one of the best cities in the world, but we've got all of these problems beneath the surface that are creeping up. They're bubbling over. And I just, it's really hard to watch it, watch this happen. And I, I don't, I don't know what to make of this because there really, there are two realities for Chicago. There's the gleaming city uh, that everyone wants to come spend time in. And then there's this crumbling infrastructure of, of failing finances. Yeah. And I think a lot of what it is, you know, is uh, Chicago has a great history, 
we have a history of being an amazing city that's open for business, where people can come and start a business, grow a family, find a job, build a career. And so Chicago has a history of being one of the greatest cities on the planet, right? It's, it's, it's why I live here and it's why I, I love Chicago. Um, and we still have, you know, great architecture, the, the lake, beautiful amenities in a lot of ways. But, you know, as you said, the, the big problem we have is, is with the politics, right? I, you know, I sometimes say that, you know, everything's great about Chicago except for our government. And that's where a lot of the mistakes are being made, where they have been being made for decades. These aren't new problems, but a lot of the, the problems that have been kind of under the surface are, are bubbling up now and, and starting to hit people for the first time. You know, when people are struggling uh, economically, they've, you know, either been jobless or had time off work or whatever because of the pandemic. Now inflation is, is out of control. So they're seeing their grocery bills get more expensive, their gas get more expensive, and they're getting hit with a property tax aggregate. So a lot of it's a, a, a timing issue. But you know, if we want Chicago to stay on those lists of best cities, then we need to get serious about fixing these long-term debt problems and these long-term fiscal issues and trying to lower tax burdens, right? We need to fix our, 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 our fiscal issues without the solution being just make it more expensive for everyone to live here. Yeah. And I think the Ken Griffin comments at the economic club are obviously interesting on a lot of different levels because he touches on so many things that are true about what the city's facing. But then you, you know, you, you've got these dueling business leaders um, in, in terms of their, their outlook on the city, I think. So I, I was listening a while back to Joe Mansueto from Morningstar. He was on the Cranes Daily Gist and he is someone who like Ken Griffin is investing heavily in Chicago. You know, he, he bought the Chicago fire. He has other interests here in the city and uh, he, his tone is one of hope and optimism. And then on the other hand, just recently with Griffin's appearance at the economic club of Chicago, he is very fired up and upset about the city's failures on so many fronts. And I think they're coming from the same place, right? Like both of these men love Chicago and, you know, Ken Griffin is a prolific philanthropist, especially here in the city. And it's just, it's so interesting to watch the headlines. What do you make of this disparity between, you know, on the, on the one hand, there's this unbridled optimism about the opportunities here in the city, but on the other hand, there's this more grisly reality of crime and crumbling finances. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting. You know, like you said, there, there's sort of are uh, two Chicago's. There's still a lot of things that are going well. There's still, you know, development going on. There's still, um, you know, business, business going on, people, people creating new investments here. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the, the point is that, you know, pandemics, emergencies in general can kind of be inflection points. They can kind of be an opportunity for you to sink or swim. And the way that you respond to those emergencies often has a lot to do with, you know, over the next decade, um, how you look relative to, to places that responded differently, right? So in, in Illinois, for example, after the Great Recession, I call it 
our lost decade after the Great Recession because Illinois made a lot of bad policy decisions that meant our economy grew much slower, our housing prices grew slower, our jobs grew slower, our wages grew slower than other states because of bad policy. And it's the same thing could happen to Chicago, right? Do we want Chicago to stay the second city? Do we want to compete for Chicago to be the first city, right? Do we, or do we want to fall behind, you know, the, these growing southern cities in, in Texas and Tennessee or or places in California and New York? And if 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 Chicago doesn't get its runaway debt under control, and the only way that we can really do that is with pension reform. And if we don't get our runaway debt under control, we won't be able to get our taxes under control. We won't be able to invest in the community services that that make people want to stay here. We won't be able to provide safe communities and quality education. So, you know, the the biggest thing that Lightfoot left out of her budget proposal was a call for pension reform, some type of plan to get it under control. And to underscore that. Two, uh, you found in some of your previous research that Chicago's eight pension funds alone have more debt than 44 U.S. states. (laughs) We're talking about $46 billion. Yeah. So, um, you know, roughly $45,000 in pension debt for every uh, Chicago resident. The eight city pension systems have more debt than 44 U.S. states. You're right. That's uh, the city only pays into four of those pension systems out of its budget, but taxpayers are on the hook for for all eight. Right. So that's the appropriate comparison. You know, it's hard to exaggerate how bad our pension problems are in Chicago. Chicago's pension problems are as big as you know many state pension problems. I think is the point of that stat, just to drive home to people that you know this is this is a a major problem. It's it's something we needed to get serious about doing. Lightfoot called it the biggest problem facing Chicago. So why then would you not have some plan in in your budget for for how to deal with it? Well, I think. You, you have to feel for Lightfoot a little bit too here in many ways because her hands are tied on pensions. She has to make these payments. There's really nothing she can do other than to use her microphone to step up and say, hey, Springfield, we have to fix this problem and we need you to start the conversation. That's true. But, you know, we need someone to have the courage to do that, right? Um, We need mayors to start speaking up about the fact that the state constitution's pension clause is a pair of fiscal handcuffs that leaves them with this massive liability and no way to fund it other than cutting services and hiking people's taxes beyond reasonable levels. Uh, Mayor Emanuel did endorse a constitutional amendment to allow pension reform. He unfortunately waited until he was sort of on his way out the door, so it didn't carry as much weight with Springfield. He was, you know, kind of a lame duck mayor, but he did it, right? He, he, uh, put himself out there. He publicly said, you know, we need to change this COLA, the 3% compounding benefit raise that retirees get. Lightfoot has also called that COLA unsustainable. She said, we need to have a conversation about fixing it. But to be clear, you cannot fix it unless you amend the constitution. And she is every time stopped short of, uh, you know, putting herself out there, of, of having courage to say, Springfield, you need to take these handcuffs off of sh- the city of Chicago and off of other cities around the state. And, you know, you know, it's politically a tricky situation for her, but, you know, she campaigned as someone who's going to be serious, who's going to be honest, who's going to fix uh, Chicago's financial picture, not be a status quo mayor who's run Chicago budgets like Daly and like Emanuel. And largely that's what we've seen. You know, there's also, we, we talked about the reliance on one-time aid in this budget, but there's also debt swap schemes. There's there's refinancing schemes. There's, there's about $600 million in new general bonds that she's selling. 
and and you know that retiring old debt with new debt those types of schemes also undermine uh, our long-term uh, fiscal health and our ability to, to provide services. So you can recognize that it's difficult for Lightfoot while at the same time saying, you know, she, she identifies the problem in Springfield as a lack of political will or political courage. And yet she's showing the same lack of political courage herself. Why should mayors step up and call for pension reform? Can you walk us through this really awful situation that local mayors find themselves in, in regard to local pensions? So state pension benefits and state pension contributions are, are set in state law for local employees. So Chicago police officers, Chicago firefighters, Chicago laborers, municipal employees, Chicago teachers, all of these systems are set in state law. Uh, Mayors have very, very little flexibility to do anything to affect the cost of these pensions. And the state constitution prevents uh, lawmakers from passing any reforms without an amendment. So the the problem is, is that pensions are the largest debt burden and the largest cost for almost every mayor in the state of Illinois. I would be shocked if there was anyone for, for whom that wasn't the case. Certainly it's the case in Chicago, right? This is one of the most expensive parts of the city of Chicago budget. It's one of the fastest growing, or it's the fastest growing area of the Chicago budget. Uh, It's the reason why taxes go up as services go down. Pensions are the reason that Illinois taxpayers continually get asked to pay more to get less because it's being thrown after this unsustainable debt problem rather than being invested in services. We recently did a report uh, talking about how this has happened in smaller cities around the state. You know, they're laying off police officers, laying off firefighters, selling off their city water system as they're hiking property taxes and dedicating all of the new property tax dollars to pensions. But the same thing has been been happening in the city of Chicago and their police and fire pension systems are, you know, in awful shape. We're talking, you know, 18 cents on the dollar for, for future promises that they have saved that they've put away today. So that's why Lightfoot needs to be the state's biggest advocate for pension reform if she wants to get serious about fixing Chicago's problems. Well, I think that you've identified the solution that Chicago needs for its financial problems, right? That, that we need Springfield to act on pension reform. Um, and are you optimistic that that's going to happen? I'll say this, the, the, the people of Illinois strongly, strongly support pension reform. Bipartisanly, they support pension reform. You're talking about 60% of Republicans and Democrats and about 65% of independents support a constitutional amendment to reform pensions. And support is actually strongest among the public in Cook County and the Collar Counties. Chicagoland area uh, right now has the strongest support for pension reform. I think that the ground is ripe for politicians with the right amount of courage and the right plan to get this done. So in other words, I think the people are there. We just need the elected officials to put something out there to give them the chance to vote on it. And if Lightfoot uh, can find it inside herself, you know, to publicly say what she she seems to have been hinting at, right, the need for pension reform. She seems to very strongly believe we need pension reform, but won't say 
that we should be doing the only way you know to, to, to get to that. If Lightfoot would cross that line and, and come out, I think that it could really be a, a sea change and it could get people in Springfield to open their eyes because, you know, as one of the most prominent Democrats in Illinois, uh, you know, with one of the largest constituencies, she gets the most votes, I think maybe uh, more than anyone other than statewide elected uh, Democrats, you know, she carries a lot of sway and what she thinks and what she says uh, carries a lot of sway. And so she were to to cross that line. I think I am optimistic. Okay, Adam. So Mayor Lightfoot shared her proposal for the city's budget on September 20th. What happens now? What happens next? So the budget has to be passed by the city council by the end of December. But what we're hearing is that the formal budget ordinance is going to be introduced possibly tomorrow, so October 14th. And then uh, about two weeks after that's introduced, we're expecting there to be a vote. All right. I can't let you leave on such a serious note. I have to know. What's your favorite Chicago restaurant? Ooh, that's a really tough one, but I'm a huge fan of a place called Arbella in River North. It's uh, kind of a small little place with a really cool bar and tapas style food. Uh, it's great to take uh, friends who are visiting from out of town. Awesome. I'll have to look it up. I am a big fan of Orso's in Old Town just because I like to eat on the outdoor patio there. I remember I watched um, the Cubs World Series there when I still lived in the city. Um have you ever been to Chengdu Impression in Lincoln Park? So. It's got really good spicy food. You should mm-hmm. try it. I do love spicy food. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> well, Adam, thanks for um, having a little fun here at the end of a very serious conversation. And um, I know you're going to be continuing to look at Chicago's financial issues and you know working toward um, solutions that help the city get back on its feet. Thanks a lot for the conversation. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit illinoispolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.